They're each bringing out the knives and they're yeah, knives the and they're shooting at each other and they're, you know, bloody and kicking each other and all that stuff. What's up, guys? We're here today with my good buddy Carter Yokum. He's an investor out of Boise, Idaho, focusing on creative finance, which basically means buying properties with none of your own money. And last year, he bought $3 million worth of real estate with none of his own money in. So welcome to the show, bro. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so we, we met at uh, Ryan Pinez's uh, WealthCon Mastermind the last year and just kind of really cool kind of seeing your journey and just seeing the cool things that you're doing. And just, so I guess once you just kind of dive in and just see like the, how did you get started? What were you doing before real estate investing? And how did you get, get started in real estate investing? Totally. Uh, it's a very long story, so I'll okay. give you a condensed version for sure. Sure. When I was a kid, I got into entrepreneurship. Okay. At the, uh, at the, the like clothing store, like Sears. Okay. They had these rolls of candy for 12 and a half cents. Okay. And first that perplexed me. Like, how do you cut a penny in half? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, but you had to buy two. Because it's 25 cents, yeah. right? So, okay. <laughs> so once I figured that out, uh-huh. then I started slinging candy. And that led to... So you buy them for like 25 cents and sell them each for like a little bit more? A dollar, yeah. Okay. Well, uh-huh. I'd buy two, two, two rolls of candy for 25 cents. Okay. And then I'd sell one roll for... A uh, dollar. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. What was that? That's technically uh, 86 and a half percent. Okay. Wow. Margin, okay. Okay. Know? Okay. <laughs> so, um, but that led to a, a whole uh, a whole long list of uh, entrepreneurial journeys that mm-hmm, I took. Mm-hmm. My mother's been in real estate for at this point uh, it was like fifteen or sixteen years. Whenever I got started okay, in real estate, okay. and I didn't understand that you could make money in real estate, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I met a real estate agent uh, as I was doing what I was trained to do uh, formally, which was video production. Okay. And so you uh, had a, you kind of had a career in video production yep, before you got into real estate. Hundred percent. And uh, uh, once once I met this gal, her name's Christina Ward. She's with Keller Williams, okay. and she was talking about how she made a million bucks. Wow, as a real estate agent? As a real estate agent, yeah, Crazy. not even an investor. Okay, so just as a real estate agent, she made a million dollars. Right, in a year. Wow, yeah, yeah. That's and that blew my mind. <laughs> I, you know, I, I couldn't believe that. Because what were you making as a, as a, um, videographer? a video, videographer at the time? So as a videographer, the most I'd ever made in a year was probably around 65000 Okay, okay. And, you know, I tried to run my own agency, and I tried all kinds of other yeah, things as, yeah, like, yeah. an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right? Um, but when she told me she made a million bucks, I was like, I was blown away because my mom had been a real estate agent for 15 years and mm-hmm. she did not make a million dollars in a year. So, so it kind of broke that worldview yeah. for me. Uh, Just like what was possible. You're like, it blew your mind. Like, okay, there's totally. somebody who has a job or there's a profession where you can actually make a million dollars in, in a year. So. Yeah. As, as like the way that I perceived a real estate agent was that it was a job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't see them as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I saw it as a job. And yeah. so when I heard she could make a million bucks, I did everything I could to work for her because okay. I wanted to learn. Okay. And so I applied for jobs and, and uh, I did whatever I could to get in front of her and her office people. And I never got a job, but I got to go through the interview process with her. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about Keller Williams, Keller Williams is a ginormous organization, yeah, worldwide yeah, yeah. Um, organization led by Gary Keller. And Gary Keller is definitely one of the great entrepreneurs of, um, I would say, the last 20 to 30 years. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You know, he's, uh, yeah, he's yeah. worth, I think he's worth about four or five billion at this point. Crazy. And he started yeah. out as a real estate agent. Okay, okay. So uh, another real estate agent who now is a crazy head, or right. obviously like four billion is a lot more than one million. But <laughs> yeah, still it here, is. So, so uh, and then that's that's really what got me started is, okay. is I kind of knew about real estate, obviously mm-hmm. being around it um, for most of my, my younger years. From your mom. Yep. So then once you met that, the agent who made a million dollars in a year, it kind of sparked something in you to kind of actually pursue uh, real estate. And then how did that actually transition into actually real estate investing? Yeah, I probably didn't understand real estate investing mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. But fortunately for me, a couple years earlier, I okay. became an investor on accident. Okay. And uh, although I wasn't in real estate full time, I had some childhood friends who in the town that I grew up in Oklahoma, they were buying homes for anywhere from fifteen to to thirty thousand dollars. One five, fifteen thousand. Okay. Yeah. So they're buying a house for fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Which and is, this, this, this is it. Is it like is it like a porta potty? Or like no. what is it? <laughs> it's it's an actual house. Okay. You know, like like seven hundred, eight hundred square feet, okay, two bedrooms, okay. one bath, that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, if you go, you guys can go look up this town, Seminole, Oklahoma. That's okay. where I grew up. 
you can buy houses today. It's January 2024. There are there are probably 30 houses for sale under $50,000. Wow, okay. Now, it's not the kind of place you want to have tenants. Okay. And that's what I found out. Okay. So my buddy, uh, they had, I think, nine rentals, and they were cash flowing something like $1,200 a month from okay. nine rentals. So like, all together, all nine together. So each one was like $100 or $200 a right. month. Okay. Yep. And uh, again, you know, that was one of those worldviews that kind of yeah, blew my yeah. mind. And so... Um, I was able to at that time, and this was this was four or five years before I became a real estate agent. Okay, I bought my first investment. So this is before I, you met the yeah. million dollar lady. I, I didn't even know what I was doing though. Okay, and so that's why I kind of I, I like to tell the story backwards because I did it on accident. Really, mm-hmm. I just did. I saw something that my friend was doing, and I wanted to do it as well. Okay. So okay. I bought that fifteen thousand dollar house and tried to get a rental. So you bought a house for fifteen thousand dollars, and then you just like I'm gonna rent this thing out for like. a month. And then did you find a tenant? I did. Okay. And that was in December of 2019. Okay. And we all know what happened in COVID, right? Right after that. 2019 (laughs) or 2020 rather. And uh, so they paid December and January. And then from February to July, they didn't pay. Oh, wow. Okay. Because of COVID. Okay. So you got, you got, you bought a house for $15,000. You got a tenant who was paying $600 a month, yep. but then COVID happened. And so now like they're in the house and they're not paying rent. Right. Okay. So these tenants had a car payment okay. that they told me they needed to make. Okay. And okay. the car payment was $750 a month. And I was only charging them $600 wow. a month rent. So, they're, they're, <laughs> so, so the, the house was cheaper than the car the payment. The house is so. cheaper. Yeah. So whenever they told me that they had to make payments mm-hmm. to the car instead of making payments to the house, I, I asked them to go live in the truck instead <laughs> because they're paying more for the truck. Yeah. And you know, it was a nice truck, but mm-hmm. if they're going to prioritize that way and not pay mm-hmm. their rent, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, what happened was I had to get a hold of the gentleman's father and his father helped me kick him out. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, I mean, what was that process like? Like the, in Hawaii, it's kind of strict as far as like 10 landlord laws. What right. was, how does it work in, in Boise, Idaho? So this was in Oklahoma. Okay. Okay. So, <coughs> sorry. So in Oklahoma, the laws were a little less um, in favor of the tenant. Mm-hmm. But remember, this was during the shutdown. Yeah, the COVID times. Right? So, so, so during the shutdown, you couldn't do anything, mm-hmm. and it was very difficult to get any kind of eviction, especially mm-hmm. any kind of help from the municipality or authorities. Got it. Yeah. So the only way that I could do it was to go to this man's father. Okay. And fortunately, his, the, the father sided with me okay. and got his son to, okay. to leave. Um, that was nice of him. So. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't leave peacefully, though. What happened? So uh, if you guys have seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith, there's part of the movie where Mr. and Mrs. Smith are fighting yeah, yeah, in their yeah. kitchen. Yeah. Or just in the house they're in general. They're bringing out the knives. And they're yeah, knives. Going and they're shooting at each yeah. other. And they're you know, bloody and kicking each other and all this stuff. Part of it, though, is uh, Mr. Smith rips the gas line and blows up the house, essentially. They ripped the gas line in my kitchen and left the gas running for almost three weeks, as well as they turned the faucet on in the kitchen and disconnected the P-trap under the sink, which made all the water just go straight under the sink into the cabinet and out into the floor. flooding the house with gas and water. Right, and at the time, I lived in Idaho, Mm -hmm. and so I couldn't get anybody an inspector out okay. there to check on the property wow. for two or three weeks. Wow. This was in the middle of July in Oklahoma where it's humid and hot. And for that period of time, because the water was in there, there was the most mold in a house I've ever seen all over the house. You have pictures of this thing? Uh, yeah, I do actually. You and show it to me later. Yeah, so. I'll, I will. And uh, so we ended up having to bulldoze the house. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And my insurance claim, I got a full claim. Okay. I got $7,000. So, because <laughs> you got some of your money back, so I only bought it for fifteen thousand. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so that was kind of like your intro to real estate investing, like right. being a landlord for the first time. How did you ever? How did you get started with creative financing? Yeah, so um, there's a really good story. I don't cuss. Okay, but for this story, I will. Okay, let's hear <laughs> it. So, uh, I was sitting down with a gentleman fairly recently, and okay. he just summed up exactly what I've been trying to do for a very long time. And I told him that was a really, I said, Dan, that's a, that's a really good way to describe uh, that deal. And okay. he said, Carter, I've been trying to pay for shit for a long time. 
I've been trying to figure out how to pay for shit for a long time. That's okay. exactly what he said. And I was like, you know what, Dan? That's exactly what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how to pay for stuff. Yeah. That's all I'm trying to do. Um, and creative finance, I think, I don't recall exactly where I got started, but it was somewhere in high school when I was trying to buy a motorcycle and trying to buy a car. Okay. And, you know, and just trying to buy a, a camera. Like, mm-hmm. I was always... Um, it's it's the saying that necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the same here. I wasn't really inventing. It's kind of it's, it's kind of cool. Like whenever you have like limitations in, in something, yep. you figure out a way to kind of overcome that and get it done with, with that limitation, right? So yeah, it sounds like you're trying to buy either like a motorcycle or a camera yeah. with no money, right? So yep. like I guess your limitation exactly. is not having no money. But <laughs> you, you want the camera or the, or the, yeah. the bike, but you don't have money. So how can you do it? Right? And so. most people would stop because they realize that money is what gets you the thing. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I think my mother really and my grandfather uh mm-hmm. kind of bred this into us okay they were always deal makers okay for whatever okay you know my mom was a real estate agent and for my first car she sold mm-hmm. a house and in exchange for her commission money okay someone gave her a car wow okay you know okay. and so like it was so normal like, to almost me. like a service for like a, a good or something like that yeah so. it, it was normal to me to not only rely on mm-hmm. uh traditional financing mm-hmm. or, or typical financing methods so there was always and I think that happens, honestly, I, I've noticed this. I think that happens in poor communities. Yeah. Because not everyone has money. Yeah. But yeah. everyone has needs still. Yeah, yeah. And so as I've done a lot more deals over the past couple of years, I've actually found that rural communities understand owner finance and seller finance a lot more than people who are urbanized. I see. That's very interesting. So I guess, like, they don't have as many options. So they, like like you said, like, the they find a way to figure it out without money. Yep. And then just that just becomes part of, like, the culture of the landscape at that point in time right yeah so um as an interesting aside to that point i bought a property this year that was uh 18 acres had two homes on it okay out in the country okay um 10 to 12 acres of the property was set in hay okay like hay for cows okay (laughs) so you know agriculture yeah 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 when i sold it or sorry when i bought it and the seller uh, received the first funds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They reached out to me and they said, hey, if you want to make your payments instead of $2,000 a month, if you just want to pay us one time in November or December, $24,000 after harvest, okay, that's okay. fine. And I didn't suggest that. Yeah, yeah. They did. The owners of this you know, small farm okay. suggested that because they understood if someone was going to come farm that property, see. they would make their money in September, October, November, okay. and then that's when they would have the money to be able to pay. So they're kind of working around like the the, the agriculture or like the, the right. farmland kind of like community. Yeah, but that's just a creative way to come up with something. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they were willing to. I, I put a ten percent down payment, but they were willing to forego payments for mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. a full twelve. Which saves months. you interest and things on, on your side too, right? Makes Absolutely. It yeah, so I, I found I found in rural communities um, mm-hmm. they really understand that creative finance stuff. So, which is where I grew up. Okay. And so I think that I think that the creative finance um, was sort of bred into me by my community. Yeah. Because yeah. I grew up in a poor community, mm-hmm. and it was always this goods for services yeah. or uh, good for good or skill for skill trade versus uh, good for money yeah. or a service for money. That's that's really interesting. I like and just the way that you put it. I think. It makes a lot of sense, like you know, just because the yeah, I mean, like because rich people they just like they rely on just their money to just basically do <laughs> right. everything, right? But like when you don't have it, now you're like, okay, like what what else can I do? Let's let's borrow, let's trade, let's try and like negotiate or figure this thing out because you have something that I want, yeah. And what do I have that I can give you that would actually help be what something that you want in exchange for it, right? So absolutely, yeah. So I that that honestly, I, I don't think there was like any one thing that got me mm-hmm. started on the creative finance path, but. Mm-hmm. Just being in that environment growing up allowed me to understand that there's a yeah. lot of different ways to do. So even going into real estate from the very beginning, you realized like that there's you don't always have to pay cash for a, a property. There's other ways to acquire it, and so but like there's there's it seems like very complex. Like there's so many different ways to go about it. Like right. how did you learn how to like the different kinds of options? Like you know and so yeah. So th- I think that's another thing that that really comes from. Um, the reps, right? Okay. Like you just do the reps. Okay. The more the more I got around people, for instance, the more I got around people who made more money, the more mm-hmm. I understood that there's more money to be made. Yeah, yeah. The more I got around people who were really fit athletically and were able to sustain it for 10 years, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. or a long period of time, yeah, yeah. the more I understood that you could be really fit and sustain it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? 
so whenever it came to creative finance deals, um, I always knew that I could do creative finance deals because uh, I'm, I'm sort of a bulldog when it comes to like, if there's something I want to do, I go and do it. Okay. Um, and money or circumstance or mm-hmm. situation won't get in the way of that. So mm-hmm. I always honed that skill. But um, getting to a point where I understood all the different avenues that you can go down. Yeah, for creative finance. For creative finance and, and how to structure a deal. That just came from putting the reps in. I see, I see. Because like I mentioned about the farmer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who sold me the 18 acres, it was his idea to have me pay him one lump mm-hmm. sum. No one, I hadn't ever suggested that to anyone else uh-huh. and no one had suggested that to me before. So it's almost like you learned something new from that deal like when he made that suggestion. Yeah, so, so every, everybody in these deals comes mm-hmm. with something. And I think that... that uh, you know, part of negotiation and sales yeah. is being a good listener. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and so li- listening to things, you know, um, Pace Morby talks about finding the bunnies. Yeah. If yeah, you've heard yeah. that story. Yeah. Um, y- if you haven't heard that story, you can go look for that online and, and find that. But um, it's funny that he has the story about looking for bunnies. I call it finding the money bunnies. Okay. <laughs> because um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of money bunnies okay. in everybody's story. And if you're willing to listen, especially to the sellers that you're working with, if you want to acquire real estate, Mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. you're willing to listen, um, you can find those money bunnies or you can see them running around and it's pretty easy. Like, hey, I can help you with that. Mm -hmm, I can mm -hmm. I can help you with this, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know. So. So, I mean, like you you acquired three million dollars worth of real estate this year with none of your own money. How did you do that? So the first thing I did was I I lied to a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, No. the reason I wanted to say that was because uh, if you if you lie or if you don't know what you're doing or if you okay. don't tell people the truth, yeah, uh, that's where you get yourself in a lot of trouble okay. with these deals. And so the first thing that I did was I. What, do you, what do you mean by that? Like the yeah. is it like from experience? Are you seeing other people do it, or what, what happens? Yeah. So let me let me go back and and um, sort of frame the situation. So I bought three million dollars in real estate this mm-hmm. year with none of my own money. Okay. And I didn't do it by lying and cheating and stealing. Okay. You know, so it's it's not a scam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it does start with trust. And if you listen to people talk about investing in deals, let's say they have a large sum of money and they want to invest in a deal, mm-hmm. a lot of times they like the return. They like the idea of the deal. Mm-hmm. But what do they like more than that? They like the fact that they trust the guy who's doing the deal. Yeah, that's that's really important. I think like a lot of people, they underestimate it. So like I, I get deals pitched to me or I see other investors pitch deals to people who have money. And they're like, hey, you can make like 10% returns. You can make like 15% returns. And they focus on the returns that the, the investor would, would make. But they don't realize that like the investor doesn't trust like they're even going to get back their money, their original right. money, right? So like have being able to trust the operator, the person who's going to be handling your money is way more important than just the actual returns itself, right? It's well, not yeah. always just like a math equation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to any kind of sales guy is going to tell mm-hmm. you like, if I'm trying to sell you a fitness program, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, this is the Alex Hormozzi thing. I'm not going to sell you like, hey, you're going to have to get up at six, which I know you won't like. You're yeah, going to have yeah. to do a bunch of really hard things. and You're going to sweat and smell bad and be really sore. And and then you're going to be fit. Do you want to buy my program? And everyone's like, of course not. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah, yeah. the program that you're selling is, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to lose 10 pounds and you're going to mm-hmm. feel great. You're selling Your the benefits and like, kind of like the, the dream outcome or the picture that they want to achieve. 100%. Right? So. Absolutely. So. If you go into a deal and you're trying to garner this trust with, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to get 15% return and my GC is the best guy in the business mm-hmm. and he's going to do this work and we're going to use this tile and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, people don't really care about all that stuff. They want to know like, hey, at the end of this deal, mm-hmm. we're going to have a beautiful project. Mm-hmm. I've done it before. So track record, right? Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a beautiful project. I've done it before and you're going to have the return, which is your dream outcome, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on this money. And that's really all people need to know. So it that $3 million of real estate that we were able to purchase this year really started with with trust. And and the way the reason I say that it starts with trust is because the key component to I bought $3 million of real estate is I bought $3 million of real estate with none of my money. Yeah, yeah. The none of my money part is where the trust starts. If I had the money, sure, I could have bought $3, three yeah, million, dollars, yeah. but I didn't have the, the cash mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. my bank to go buy $3 million of real estate, mm-hmm. other people did. Okay. When when I want to leverage their money, mm-hmm. I have to have that trust component. And uh, that trust component is is 100% the most important thing in, in a deal. And the second most important thing is finding a good deal. Yeah. 
So finding the good deal um, is something that I, I really like to specialize in and I really like to teach people. The way that I say it is I will teach you how to find, negotiate, and close a creative finance deal on Zillow. Okay, that sounds interesting. Right? So, and that's what I did with all of these properties. I found them on Zillow. They had been listed. Everyone and their grandma who scrolls Zillow whenever they're sitting in front of the TV mm-hmm. at night and they, you know, are bored or whatever, they saw those deals too. But what they weren't able to see were the money bunnies running around mm. on that listing that indicated this is a good opportunity for creative finance. Mm, and so because I'm able to see or because I've done, you know, I've looked at thousands yeah, and thousands yeah. and thousands of deals, I've called hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sellers and agents just on Zillow. I've been able to acquire the skill that uh, I can see when these indicating markers are on a listing, and then I can make a deal. That's out of really it. interesting. So you basically you go on Zillow, you look at a property that maybe has been listed or has been on the market for like a little bit of while, and there's something about that property that can tell you that this guy is motivated to not just take cash for his property. And then you you call the seller or call the agent, and you kind of work out a a deal where you can actually acquire the property not using your, your own money, so. Right, absolutely. So I'll tell you about a couple of the deals that okay, we did this year. sure, yeah. So one of the deals that we did was a, a 10 acre property up in North Idaho. Okay. It was listed for $1.3 million. Okay. Way overpriced. Okay. A piece of what land. What do you think it was probably worth like on the market? At the cash? time, probably 900, 950. Okay, okay. Okay, so it's overpriced over a quarter million dollars. Okay. What I can do with creative finance, however, is mm-hmm. I can understand that that quarter million dollars can be applied in a different place um, than than just on the purchase price. Okay. And what I mean by that is when you have the purchase price of a property, it maybe makes up this much space. Okay. okay. That purchase price is not everything that you're going to pay for that property, right? If you go get a loan, you're also paying this extra chunk over here in the interest, fees, and interest, fees okay, okay. everything, all of this over here. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. so even though there's a divider line right here, which there's a, the purchase of the property on this side, and these are the fees and the interest on this mm-hmm. side, I'm actually paying for this whole big thing right here. Yeah. Okay. And so if I can step back and realize as a creative finance opportunity, I'm paying this much anyway, interest, fees, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. How can I pay for that? in a creative way is what I'm looking to do. Okay. So instead of me going to get a loan for this much, right, and I pay off the property and I buy it, and then I pay the fees later, is there a way for me to wrap that all into one thing and then make the terms work out in my favor? Okay, okay. Right? So what would you, what would you pitch that seller? What did you pitch the seller in this situation? Yeah, so this particular property, it was obvious to me, and I, I can kind of paint the picture here for you. Mm-hmm. So it's this beautiful 10 acres in North Idaho. Okay, there's an airport, Coeur d'Alene Airport, and there's a lake. Okay. They're about 10 miles from each other. Okay. This property is right in the middle. So if someone has a private jet, and this is the kind of area it's in too, if someone mm-hmm. had a private jet and they really liked the lake, they could have this 10 acres and it would be a beautiful spot. However, there was a super old decrepit home that needed to be torn down on the property. Okay, okay. It had been vacant for almost two years, on the market for almost two years, never dropped the price one time. The $1.3 million 1.3. Like property with like the vacant house. Yep. So, okay. For two years. When I look at that, it's really easy for me to say, okay, someone obviously values this property very, very high. Yeah. yeah. Over market. Yeah. Yeah. Because to set that long means it's, it's guaranteed overpriced, right? So, right. Yeah. And the other thing is when people overprice items and they don't want the money, mm-hmm. they're more interested in getting the value the perceived value of that item than they are interested in getting money. Okay, okay. And so the perceived value of this property to the to the seller yeah. was 1.3. Yeah, they didn't yeah. care about having a million dollars in their pocket. Yeah. They cared about this place selling for 1.3 million dollars. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Right? So that 1.3 million dollars to them uh the the overinflated price was memories and sentimental value. Mm. Right. So like their 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 value, like their their emotional attachment or sentimental value as part of the equation for for their price of why they're selling it. Right. Saying, so. And and how else are you supposed to value that stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just throw it away. Mm-hmm. So I found out through that and looking at the property, yeah. old decrepit house. Yeah. yeah. You know, n- zero updates in the past. Whenever yeah, the yeah. property hasn't been taken care of, all that stuff. It was pretty easy for me to see that it's probably a family or a family member who grew up here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know 
come to find out what it was was this was the mother's home that all the kids grew up in. Okay. Mother had passed away a couple of years ago. Okay. And the daughter who was in charge of the estate had very high sentimental value placed on this property because that's mm. where her and her siblings all grew up. Yeah. Okay. And that's why it was overpriced. They were willing to, this is crazy, these folks were willing to wait for the market to appreciate up to the one to three, one point three. Whether it took like twenty years or they, thirty years, they didn't care, <laughs> right? They just wanted that one point three number. So why was it one point three? I have no clue. Maybe mm. thirteen was their mother's lucky number or something like that. Mm. I don't know. Um, but like doing the math, okay, that obviously doesn't make any sense. Yeah, to yeah, wait yeah. for a property to yeah. appreciate to the value that you place on it, mm -hmm. number wise, right? Because everything else is going to be inflated. Yeah, the value yeah. of that dollar is going to be down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes no difference. You sell it for today's price or you sell it for tomorrow's price. It's the same. So what we're able to do to work out for that property is we put twenty percent down. Okay. And so we're, we we put um, two hundred sixty thousand dollars. Two hundred sixty thousand dollars down exactly in cash, okay. not my cash, but we put two hundred sixty thousand dollars down. And because of the type of work we want to perform on that property, we were able to negotiate no payments and no interest for three years. Okay. Okay. So I put two sixty down. Okay. We acquired the property, and then I have no payments and no interest for three years. Now, going back to this image here, where we have the purchase price, and then we have this separate section that's interest. Okay. Now it makes sense because I can have a three-year period where I'm paying for everything, interest and all, interest and fees and everything. I have a three-year period where I don't have to make any payments, no interest, and that makes up this gap that I would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, needed to come off the purchase price if I didn't do it creatively. But because I did it creatively, I'm able to just tack that on to the end uh, because I'm foregoing all these interest and fees okay, okay. getting a conventional loan. Okay, so where did you come up with that 260 cash? Yeah, so going back to trust, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the 260000 came from private money lenders. Okay, okay. And these private money lenders are people like you and I who mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. come to these conventions or meet in whatever capacity. Yeah, yeah. And... They trusted that this deal was going to be something that I mm -hmm. could perform on. Also, uh, private money lenders, just as a tip for people who want to get into this, private money lenders get really excited about creative finance deals. Like, why, why is that? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot easier for me to pitch a creative finance deal mm -hmm. than a typical like, hey, I'm going to give you 12% return and I'm going to go get this loan. They're like, ah, I don't really like that. You know, mm -hmm. I tend to find the same way that this lady valued her property yeah, yeah. really high because of sentimental value. It has to do with a story. So is are the lenders getting equity or how are they getting like compensated? No, yeah. So the private money lender for that particular property, they took a percent. So we gave them, uh, I believe on that one, we gave them around sixteen or eighteen percent um, interest. The, okay, so they're getting a um, is it interest. monthly or interest at the end of the project? At the so end of the okay. project. Yep. So they're getting simple interest. Sixteen annualized or just yep. overall? Okay. Sixteen percent annualized. It's either sixteen or eighteen percent. Okay. I, I don't recall the numbers, but it's a it's a high it's a high number. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's for very typical. Good interest, yeah. But because I have the no payments for mm -hmm, three years mm -hmm. and uh, no interest on mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. on that money either. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah, yeah. you you have to you have to remember, we put two hundred sixty thousand dollars down. So it's almost like you get a loan from the, the exactly. sellers for like a mil at points. Exactly. So yeah. We have over a million dollar loan with a seller and they they're basically giving us a million dollars and saying here you can have it for three years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No interest. So what what do you guys plan to do with the property or how are you gonna monetize this? That one is gonna be uh, a luxury build. Okay. So we're gonna build a luxury home on it okay. and flip it. So that that one that one's a, a really big project. How are you gonna pay for like the construction and all that kind of stuff? So that part we are gonna use a hard money lender. Okay. Yep. So you're gonna you so you bought the house with like a private money lender to put the two sixty down. Yep. And then you're gonna get a hard money loan to for the renovation. And then the seller is gonna be carrying back like their balance of like the, the one point three purchase price. Yep. What do you think it's gonna cost to for the, the luxury build? So we'll be all in around three point eight. So we have a one point three we have a one point three million dollar purchase price. Okay, okay. And we have a two point five million dollar build. That's a big build. It so is a big build. <laughs> So you're gonna build a two point five million dollar ranch, basically like luxury mansion on this. Exactly. Thing. Okay. Yep. And then uh, sale price should be somewhere between five point one and five point five. Okay. What do you guys think you're gonna make after all like awesome? After all fees and paying everybody, we should we should bring home somewhere between eight hundred thousand and one point two. Okay. In about two and a half years. That's a that's a healthy margin for two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh that that the way that uh, we were able to structure that deal. Mm -hmm. Um, just got a lot of people excited. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
You're very, 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 very creative. Yeah, what and that's the point with creative finance too. Like, creative finance doesn't only mean going and getting owner finance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just means coming up with an interesting. You're trying to way. structure a different way to like just make things happen, right? right. So yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like you did like uh, almost like a combination of conventional with the hard money, yep. but also creative finance on the side. So it's like kind of like merge to create this like this this one deal or masterpiece where you're kind of mixing the different kind of tools you have in your tool belt. Yeah, and and that's 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 exactly the point mm-hmm. too is like having more tools in your tool belt. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, and I tell people this all the time who want to get into wholesaling or flipping or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're wholesaling deals, whenever you're wholesaling real estate, you have to to consume. A Curious large thing. volume mm-hmm. of properties to mm-hmm. find the one. My mother's been in real estate for, and Zillow is one of the easiest platforms that you can use to find real estate deals. Mm-hmm. You don't have to call thousands of people on a list that you buy. You don't yeah, have to yeah. door knock. You can just get on Zillow. the 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 biggest benefit to Zillow is you already know the house is for sale. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really undersold point. I think when people you try to buy properties off market, like you like you cold call a bunch of people or text them. For people who they haven't raised their hands saying they want to sell yet, so yeah. your first filter of like, do they even want to sell? You have to do, like, talk to like a hundred people to find someone who just even wants to sell, right? But right. Zillow, every single person on that on that website, they've already raised their hand saying, I want to at least sell my property, right? Yeah. So and that's where you get to breaking down like the sales cycle in general. Mm-hmm. If people don't know who you are, that's cold. Okay. Cold traffic. Okay. If people know who you are. That's medium, you know. Okay, they yeah. they kind of know what you are. If yeah. if they're hot traffic, they know who you are and what you have to sell, yeah, and they yeah. want it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So there's like these three different levels of of people who know what you have. For us, our our game and what we're trying to do in buying this real estate, we know it's already medium traffic because they've already identified that they want the product. Okay. Right. They want to sell. You mean they want to sell? Okay, yeah. And okay. the product is us buying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. so they put it for sale. And just like you said, they raise their hand. They say, "Yes, we want to. We want to sell our house." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We skip the step of having to tell them what we do and who we are, okay, and convincing them that they want to sell their house. I mean, but if you're to like cold, cold call somebody, exactly, like, you're just like a random. So we we line. skip that step and we just make it easier on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does shrink the pool, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's not as many houses for sale as there are houses to call on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we make we made it that much easier for ourselves mm-hmm. to, to find these deals. So on Zillow, you're doing the same exact thing. And that's why it's nice to set some parameters because if you just look at the houses for sale in the state like of Louisiana, <laughs> yeah, like that's just too much. Yeah. So you narrow it down. You find out what your 1998 Dodge Cummins is. You know, in my case, what I like to look for a lot is properties that are one acre or more Okay. in a developing area. And this is from like looking through like your subconscious and constantly looking through Zillow to kind of figure out what what's your buy box or what's your Dodge yep. Cummings for like the for the properties that you're trying to purchase. Exactly. Yep. So I've I've narrowed that down to exactly what I'm trying to purchase. You know, a lot of people starting in real estate would su- or a lot of people who are advanced in real estate investing would suggest people start with like the median home. Okay. Right? Like sense, a three yeah. bed, two bath, two thousand square foot median home price mm-hmm. in whatever location. Mm-hmm. So that's what you put in. Mm-hmm. And then you scroll through those deals. And then you do it the next day, and then you do it the next day, and you do it the next day, and you oh, that's interesting. This one is priced fifty thousand dollars more than all the other ones. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. All the other ones are three hundred. This one's three fifty. And then you look at it. Oh, they have an ADU in the back. I had like this. There's like really, I think a really good analogy somebody once told me was like, if you go to the grocery store and you see eggs for sale, do you know how do you know if that's a good deal or not? <laughs> and the reason is like it's like okay, so if like is your first time to the store like and you see eggs like I need to buy eggs it's five dollars is this a good deal or not? But and if you go to like let's say a mom who goes shopping all the time right so she's in the grocery store every day or every week shopping shopping she's bought a lot of eggs she's seen the price over and over over the course of the year when eggs hits five dollars she's either like oh my gosh that's so expensive or she's like oh my gosh that's so cheap right. depending on what what she's seen throughout the rest of the year right yeah. so. That rest of the year of just visiting the grocery store over and over sounds like what you're doing with Zillow, where every day you're scrolling, you're looking at 20 properties. If you can look at 100, it's even better, right? The more properties you can kind of just get into your data, your system, then eventually when you see those eggs for $5, you're like, okay, this is a deal. Yeah. Let's pursue this far further and just kind of get that rapid. But even after you find that first deals, you can run into other problems where like actually it's like it's damaged or these other kinds of things. So you have to actually put in the reps to contact the sellers talk to them and kind of go through that process of actually making offers because then now there's this whole other set of like 
filters right. or, or problems you're going to kind of run across as well too, right? So and I, I definitely think it's all the same skill. It's just a different category, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So like the eggs example, that's that's an awesome example. I haven't heard that before, but it's, it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. like my father-in-law, if he walks into a house mm-hmm. and the door creaks, mm-hmm. he hears it. Mm-hmm. And he fixes what he's it. trained his subconscious to because he's trained for, yeah. exactly. He's trained his subconscious mm-hmm. to pick up that anomaly, right? It's mm-hmm. an anomaly in the house, like oh, the door mm-hmm. squeaks. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna go get WD forty. Yeah, yeah. So he goes yeah. and gets WD forty yeah. or tightens the screw or whatever. Like yeah. as uh, whereas a lot of people, they can live two years with mm-hmm. this door this every they, single they time. Don't, they don't even hear it. They don't hear it. <laughs> yeah, because they're not paying attention to yeah. it. You know, but. It's the same skill, and I think everybody in life, like everyone, has that skill, whatever it is. They they have this skill, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's um, this guy's always late to work. Yeah, like yeah, I always yeah, know yeah. that Johnny, like my you know my <laughs> he's always gonna be late, like by at least three minutes. Yeah, you know, so like I just noticed that. Yeah. Okay. Or uh, this person, every time we go to this restaurant, they throw out their onions. Mm-hmm. Like they've never told you they don't like onions, but you observe it. And so you know that they don't want it. The thing know? is, like, so this is like a common skill that we all have and we all use daily, but we don't maybe not we might not realize it. Yeah. But the thing is, like, if you can take that skill and apply it to like the biggest money making vehicle. So like, when you're flipping like let's say candy, you make like a dollar or like eighty cents, right? When you're flipping let's say cars, you make like two grand, three grand, four grand, five grand. When you apply that same like anomaly anomaly scale to houses, now you can make forty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. So it's just. Is the same like general skill that you're using or applying. It's just applying to like a bigger opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking about this the other day, which is something I want to bring up. When you want to take these skills and apply them to real estate, cars, yeah. candy, whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Um, normalizing big numbers is is probably going to be one of the things that you do that levels you up the most. Okay. And what what I mean by normalizing big numbers is if I want to make forty thousand dollars to a in one transaction, yeah, yeah, that's the key. Like if I want to make forty thousand dollars in one transaction, yeah, if I said that to an average American who has a fifty six thousand dollar income, mm-hmm. that's the average income mm-hmm. for for an American. That's that they it won't make any sense. It won't compute. Yeah, yeah. Because how can you make forty thousand dollars from one transaction when it takes me a whole year to make fifty thousand? Exactly. Like it just doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. but uh, the more you get around these things, like yeah. you know, like um, yeah, I'm sure you've heard this story about the four minute mile. Have you heard that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this guy was trying to run a four minute mile forever. He couldn't sub four. Yeah, he yeah. He couldn't. He couldn't get sub. Breaking sub four the minutes. four minute mile for the barrier. So everybody was yeah. Right. Yeah. This guy was trying to do it for two years, and then all of a sudden, a, a college student from across the world was able to do it in two seconds less than four minutes. Yeah. And then two weeks later, the same guy that had been trying for two years yeah. did the same thing. And it's not because he finally got to the place where he could train. It's because someone broke his worldview and yeah. he finally believed it's that like it could happen. It's like a mental block that you don't even know you have. Right. Like here, so yeah. Yeah. So normalizing big numbers is something that I think is really important, especially for people who do want to get into real estate investing. It doesn't matter if you're doing creative finance or not. Yeah. yeah. Normalizing big numbers helps you do big numbers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's normal. And in fact, there's, there's an interesting study where children, uh, so in, in America, mm-hmm. children who are able to jump classes, right? Let's say you're born in a like low middle class, okay, okay. but in your lifetime, you're able to jump to like high class, okay? okay? okay. And you're, you're living rich, um, top 1%. Okay. Children who are able to jump classes the easiest are children who come from church. Why is that? And the reason is, is when kids go to church, church is a place where people from all classes gather together and so these kids from low middle class Mm -hmm. middle class high high class societies they're all in the same room together they're all in the same room and they all do life together at Mm -hmm. church and so um this study put out that the best chance for children to jump classes in particular go Mm -hmm. up obviously is to to do life at church because they normalize big numbers and they normalize nice life and they normalize you know typically to like two Summarize. To summarize, it's basically like you, let's say you had a kid that's like lives in like his his household makes like let's say ten thousand dollars a year. Yeah. You got another kid that makes let's say like fifty thousand dollars a year. You got another kid whose parents make like let's say a hundred thousand dollars a year. And so they all go to the same church. Normally, if they stayed in their same communities, the ten thousand dollars a year kids would all hang out together, and then all their kids exactly. would make ten thousand. 
the fifty thousand a, a, a year kids would all hang out together, and then all their kids would make fifty thousand. The hundred thousand kids, same thing. Yep. But then when you get all the kids going together in the same church, that the hundred thousand, the fifty thousand, and the ten thousand dollar a year kids all are in the same room together. Yep. Then the ten thousand, that's their biggest chance for the ten thousand dollar kids to get to the hundred thousand dollar community or marks. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the study indicates that the reason is is because they they normalize that yeah yeah the kids normalize mm-hmm. the the opportunity that the the kids at the hundred thousand dollar mark have. I mean that I I feel like that applies in so many different areas of life you know so like if you are not a smoker then you hang out with all the friends who are smokers yeah. you're gonna be smoking if like <laughs> let's say like you're a big drinker at your old your old school then you go to like the place where none of your guys are drinking and like okay you're gonna maybe stop drinking and so like there's negative and positive peer pressure i think totally. and so it just it's such a like a weird phenomenon for humans where we just try to normalize or it was like um there's like a word for that where like you're like homeostasis to your environment yes right? yeah so then like if all your friends are like let's say they're really successful business wise you're either gonna like homeostasis to become just as successful as them or you're gonna drop out of the friend group i feel yep. like and so it just it's almost like a whether it's w- lifting weights or whether it's business or whether it's like your your religion it's just you get around the people who are doing things who where you want to be, and almost like by proximity or like osmosis or some kind of natural right. law of the universe, like you're just gonna like your body's gonna either naturally just become or kind of like uh, acclimate to whatever the, it is over there, right? So it's because it's it's uncomfortable to be out of alignment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like you you go, you go to the chiropractor because you want to be in alignment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you go to the doctor because your body's all out of whack. You yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, it's the same thing in your environment. Like you're talking about, the homeostasis is is a is we want we want to be in alignment yeah. with our group, and we do this. You know, it's like a, it's like a floating pool, and then all of a sudden, boop, we come here if we hang there too long. Yeah, and so we don't want to hang with you know we don't want to hang with this crowd. Yeah, yeah. we want to hang with this crowd because what we're trying to do is we're trying to go up there, mm-hmm. and um, uh, that's that that's something that I found really interesting and something that I would like to share tactically with mm-hmm. with everybody. Okay, is um, normalizing big numbers comes from looking at big numbers right Explain that so yeah. if you want to normalize big numbers mm-hmm. go to zillow.com okay. and look at all the houses for sale in beverly hills california that have at least one acre that's all what is that and what, what are these numbers going to be <laughs> when, when you go when you go search for that on zillow.com okay. you're going to see 40 plus houses for sale okay every single one of them over 10 million dollars okay when you so you're just like you're just looking at houses that are over ten million dollars, and you're just your your brain's kind of just absorbing this information yep. to where the point where it just houses just cost ten million dollars, and that's kind of like in your psyche. It'll blow your mind for a while, mm-hmm. but eventually you'll look at it and go, "Oh yeah, I expect mm-hmm. that would be twenty thousand, twenty million dollars. Mm-hmm. I expect that house to be forty million dollars, whatever." And when you normalize those big numbers you can go back to your market you know it's it's like you're you're resetting yeah you're yeah, resetting yeah. your uh you know your bar or whatever it is you go back to your market and you look at a property and you go oh it's it's only five hundred thousand five hundred thousand you know like and then and then you know five hundred thousand is like that's still a lot of money yeah, yeah but when we normalize these big numbers it's easier for us to go to like yeah you, you go to a private money lender yeah so hey yeah i i just need 500 grand I need 104 renovations, and then we're gonna sell it for 750. You know what's funny is I actually do this like uh, the same trick, but it's for problems. Mm. So like when sometimes I have this problem, like let's say in my business, where I'm like, okay, oh, it's just, we could lose like a hundred thousand dollars. This is terrible. My life is over, right? <laughs> and then like I think like, oh, actually, like if you think about like Ryan Finetta, every day he's got like million dollar problems where like he could lose like 10 million dollars, right, with his decision. And so. For him, he's like, you lost a hundred thousand dollars. What's the big deal? Like, yeah. you know. And so, so I was like, if I was Ryan Panetta, like, this would not be a problem. I could easily solve this, and it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't stress me out as much, right? But, yep. and if you're like, let's say Elon Musk, like, you lose a billion dollars in a day with like with Twitter going down or whatever, yeah. right? So like, which he's, he's got done billion dollar problems, yeah. right? So if and if you tell Elon Musk, dude, I lost a hundred thousand dollars, or I could lose a hundred, he's like. Who are you talking yeah. to, right? And so just, <laughs> just imagine myself like these, the how these, uh, these problems that these big guys are solving or having to face. Then I, I think about my problem in that perspective. It's just okay. It's not that big. You can figure it out. Like it's, 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 it's solvable, and it's like not that as big as you make it inside your own mind. You know. So yeah, I think I think one of the best things that I did to be able to overcome issues is normalizing big numbers, mm-hmm. and then realizing okay, once those are normalized, mm-hmm. and I'm confident in realizing. I can actually go make a forty thousand dollar check in one transaction. Yeah, yeah. 
that's whenever I was able to really apply the tactical stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can learn all the tactical stuff every day, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. unless you understand and normalize the big numbers, you're not going to do big numbers, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's all right, I'd like to share with everybody like the tactic, please, you know, please. the tactical stuff, how I find, negotiate, and close okay, please, from please. Zillow. So I'm just going to give you guys like a, a step-by-step exactly how I do it um, so that way you guys can apply it. So. The, the stuff that we talked about before about normalizing the big numbers, that's really important to do before, you know, it's kind of like... Before you do this. That's kind of like, like the, the pregame. Yeah, so exactly. It's pre-game. your head right so that you're, you're able to kind of take the action on these steps. Yeah, okay, and, so. and you, don't let, you don't let things like money trip mm-hmm. you up mm-hmm. because okay. money is everywhere. As you okay. can see, if you go to Beverly Hills on Zillow and look yeah. for these homes, you know, so don't, don't worry about that part. The part is finding the anomalies and making mm-hmm. a good deal. So go to Zillow.com doesn't matter where you are in the country or the world. Go to Zillow.com okay. or, you know, your preferred. It can be Realtor.com, Trulia, whatever syndicate mm-hmm. platform where you can see all the homes that are for sale right now. Got it, got it. Loop.net, you know, if you're doing yeah. uh, commercial. Commercial, or right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It apply, It's all the same. So you go to Zillow. You, f- you figure out what kind of property you want to purchase. For me, if you're brand new, I would suggest to find the median home value in your area, okay. which is probably pretty easy to search on okay. Google, okay. and then a normal... Uh, first-time homebuyer house, a okay. three a three bed, two bath, two thousand square feet, fifteen hundred square feet, okay. something like that. Okay. okay, you put those parameters in, and all you're gonna do for the first week is just look. Mm-hmm. You're just gonna scroll, and you're gonna look at some houses, and you're gonna look through the bedrooms. Okay, and go to the next one. And you're gonna look. You're gonna look. After a week, you're probably gonna look at a couple hundred homes. Okay. 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 Once you look at a couple hundred, you're gonna be surprised, but you're gonna be able to start. You're at some point, you're gonna stop, on accident almost. Mm-hmm. Like your subconscious catches it before your mind, before your your conscious does. You're gonna stop and look at it, and and you're not gonna know why, but you have to look at it because your subconscious is telling you there's something different about this particular mm-hmm. house listing. When you find that house listing, and I'm gonna talk about creative finance, like how to, how to how to find a deal with creative finance. What you're wanting to look for in particular, as you're looking at these homes, any house that's been listed for 30 to 40 days or more is a good candidate for owner finance. Okay. To make it even more of a good candidate, you're going to want to find a house that's vacant. Okay. Okay, so it's been listed for a while. That means that they've wanted to sell it for quite some time, and it's not selling. Okay. And if it's vacant, you know that the sellers are on one of the two extremes. Either they had to move, and they're desperate to sell it because of a job or a family situation, Mm -hmm. or they want to sell it, you know, it's more of a want versus yeah, a need. Yeah. They want to sell it, and they're an investor, and they can afford to not have someone live there see, and yeah. just have it vacant. Yeah, okay. okay, so the the first one is 30 to 40 days on market. Okay, you're scrolling, you're looking, you're looking at if it's vacant or not. Um, another good way to know if it's vacant, if it's staged, is to just look in the closets. Like if there's okay. p- pictures of the closet, if there's clothes in there, then okay, they probably okay. live there. If they don't, there's, you know, they probably don't live there. Okay, no clothes. Okay. Um, another one is, um, look in the description. A lot of times people don't look and read the description. You know, if it's an interesting one, read the description to see if you can pick up some kind of anomaly that mm-hmm. might trigger Something you. The, the agent will say why they're selling too. So it's right. A, yeah. yeah. Sometimes they will literally just say owner seller carry option. Mm-hmm. Owner will consider carrying note. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not always be like hyper obvious, but read the description and come up with that. And the conversation you want to have with the agent when you call them. Because remember, all these houses are listed for sale. So yeah, you're going to yeah. be dealing with a real estate agent. Okay, okay. If you're not a real estate agent yourself, you're going to call the agent. You're going to say, hi, my name's Carter. I'm calling about your listing at 123 Main Street. I'd like to buy it. I'm curious if your sellers have considered creative finance. And they'll probably, you know, very likely they're going to go, well, who are you? Are you an agent? You know, yeah, what, what yeah, do you yeah, want? Yeah, are you an yeah. investor? So... <clears throat> most likely they're going to they're going to start to ask you like who are you and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. why why are you calling um you can tell them at that time i'm a buyer okay i don't have a real estate agent i'd like you to represent me and then you re- restate the question have you considered creative finance and what you're doing if you're not a real estate agent what you're doing there is you're telling them that they're going to get double commission mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you need their help and you're making them the expert mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because you're you're saying i need your help have you considered Creative finance. Creative finance means a lot of things to a lot of people. And if they say, what are you talking about? What I would suggest is owner finance. You, you go after owner finance first, right? You say, well, in the case that your people own it outright, do you think that they would 
sell it to me owner finance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People typically understand that, especially real estate agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they don't, maybe you should work with someone else. <laughs> but um, in in the case that these people they come back and they say no, they have a loan on the on the property. You say, oh, that's interesting. Is that loan a loan that they would give to me if it has reasonable terms? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would your sellers consider giving me the loan or leaving the loan attached to the house? Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. Y- there's a lot of different ways to say it, but that's another way to do sub two mm-hmm. or assuming a loan if you're in a position to be able to assume a loan. That conversation that you have up front, hi, I'm interested in your property. Have your sellers considered creative finance? If they own it outright, okay, could they could they take owner finance? Or if they don't own it outright, would they give me the loan with the house? Okay, after you have that conversation and come to any kind of conclusion, from there, it's just very basic conversation. Okay, yes, they will. Awesome. Then you're just going to get the ball rolling for it. Get the ball rolling, and then you do the, the transaction. The big thing is just scroll, number one, scrolling, finding an anomaly, and then just making the phone call and just asking if they'll consider right. creative finance, right? So Yeah, and here's the thing. After you scroll for a week and you start to find the anomalies, mm-hmm. guess what? There's anomalies inside of they're hiding. Yeah. Okay, so if you want to practice, after you've practiced finding good deals, then just start to call on every single deal, mm-hmm. you know? And just see what what's up and, and just see yeah. get your get your calling reps in and then practice point, calling right? so, exactly yeah, yeah. so th- tactically I think that's the best thing someone could do mm-hmm. right now because that just starting cost out any like money. if they want to yeah this is right. like they want to get started in real estate investing download Zillow Here's, for free okay yep exactly yeah go ahead I mean if they want to get started in real estate investing this is like the simple blueprint that you kind of laid out for them to just kind of get their foot get their feet wet get started in they can actually do deals already at, at this point with just with just the simple steps that you've given them right. And if I'm sure people are watching you or just like in general understand real estate, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you don't want to buy the home yourself or if you don't understand how to buy the home yourself, Mm -hmm. guess what? If you find a deal Mm -hmm. that's creative finance and has really good terms, someone in the in the real estate investing community will buy that from you for an assignment fee. And you'll become a a wholesaler Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you will make. 5, 10, 15 grand from assigning that deal. Mm-hmm. All because you learned how to scroll on Zillow and talk to a seller. You know. Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's great advice. I think like people at home can actually take what you're learning and just apply it immediately. I think that's uh it just from the from your couch when you're watching TV as opposed to watching Netflix, just get in your phone and just start looking through phone on houses on Zillow. Yep. Right? It's just a lot more productive or kind of get your foot wet into the world of real estate investing. Totally. Yeah, and there's there's you know, there's a million things that we could get into. If you work with one agent and that one agent likes mm-hmm. what you do, mm-hmm. you know, then they're going to start sending you referrals. Yeah. And that's how you build your business, you know, and, and um, it all it takes is just getting good at that one thing, which is finding those finding those deals. Awesome, man. Well, just super appreciate having you on the on the podcast. Like wealth of knowledge. If people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah. So on Instagram and YouTube and ev- every other platform, it's just Carter Yoakum. Can you spell that? For, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll have it. We'll link it down in the show. Yeah, notes cool. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's just at Carter Yoakum. Okay, awesome. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Appreciate you. Yeah.